Everything sucks. Just kidding. Hey, all you beautiful Kims and Jims out there. This is the Bad Weather Podcast. I'm Jonathan Miller. This is the sound of my voice. Brian had a very thoughtful conversation with our friend Brooke Olson from the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast recently. And I listened back to it and thought, man, this is incredibly great content for dealing with high conflict co-parenting and sort of toxic relationships overall. And I thought it would be useful to throw it on our feed as well. Um, Check out Brooke, the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast, and give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy. Take care of yourself. Everything sucks. Welcome to the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast, where we provide you with valuable insights and expert guidance on navigating high conflict divorce and custody battles. If you're dealing with a high conflict situation, we understand how challenging and overwhelming it can be. That's why we've created a free resource for you to help you begin managing the high conflict dynamic. Our High Conflict Diversion Program booklet, When Co-Parenting Doesn't Work, provides great information and innovative strategies to help you disengage from the conflict and prioritize your child's best interests. To access this valuable resource, simply visit highconflict.net forward slash booklet and download your free copy of When Co-Parenting Doesn't Work. We believe that every parent deserves the support and guidance they need to navigate high conflict, divorce, and custody battles. And we're here to help you every step of the way. So be sure to visit highconflict.net forward slash booklet to receive your booklet today. And thank you for tuning in to the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast. We look forward to supporting you on your journey. Welcome back, everybody, to the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast with Brooke Olson. And again, my uh, guest this week is Brian Burns, therapist from the Bad Weather Podcast, a fun group that um, supports families in high conflict divorce and custody. And this uh, this week's podcast is 276, Navigating High Conflict Divorce and Custody with therapist Brian Burns. Welcome, Brian. How are you today? Thank, thank you very much, Brooke, and congratulations. That's a, that's a high uh, di- digit number. Uh, it's three digits, which is a lot in my book. When well, it comes are, to podcast episodes, you uh, you've been around the block a few times. Yeah, you know, we were here in year six, and um, you know, I I started this with Charlie Jewett over five years ago, and uh, we we kind of said, well, let's try ten and see what happens. And yeah, I had no idea that I could come up with content week after week, but we managed. So yeah, part. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, that you mentioned the Bad Weather Podcast. We're just um, coming up on one year, and we've got 33, I think, episodes published. So just doing some quick math, we're already behind the pace that you've set uh, at 40-something per year. Um, but we're going to – it's ha- it's fun. I'm I'm really enjoying it, so I think we're going to keep going. Well, you guys are a kick, and I really enjoyed the the podcast we did together um, a couple of months ago. Uh, you guys bring really good information to your people. You are fun. You're funny. You have some good synergy on that podcast. So, um, yeah, hope you guys keep things going there. I think you put good. Yeah, time. hope to keep things going, not offend too many people, and keep it real. 
Well, you know, I, I think offending a few people is a good thing because that means that we are tickling something in there that needs to be challenged. And I think, you know, when we shy away from things that make us uncomfortable, we stop growing. And, uh, you know, that I disagree with you doesn't have to be a, um, a split as it is in a high conflict relationship. It can be an exploration of, huh, I, I wonder if there's something in here for me or that it can at least challenge my thought process so so I can grow. And I think that that's a good thing. Uh, I could not agree more. Um, uh, being provocative doesn't mean you're being inappropriate or wrong. It means that you're saying things that stir people mm -hmm. uh, in a res with a response that probably means something if they want to look into that yeah. for themselves. Being uncomfortable is an important part of our processes. You and I were just talking about how much I like to be uncomfortable when it comes to the temperature. <laughs> There's something about being uncomfortable that that pushes on that growth um, growth mindset. Yeah, it it, it encourages um, the establishment of some grit in the system. Yeah. So. Um, you know, when we started to talk about this podcast um, and our e email exchanges, what I what I want to be able to do again is stir that uncomfortable piece in in our listeners here. And you brought up the Cotman um, drama triangle, and I always think that that's a really nice place to start the conversation because. Um, it's got a flow to it and on its surface it looks like everybody plays a particular role you know whether it's the victim the persecutor or the rescuer in that in that combination mm -hmm. but the truth of the matter is if i understand it correctly and i'd like your feedback on it is each person is actually playing each one of those roles and there is a right. rotation that happens within it yeah. and there's a primary yeah. spot that they start from. And, mm -hmm. and I think if, if we can talk about that a little bit and people can start to understand that in this high conflict arena, this is something that really is oftentimes a base note at play. Mm -hmm. And to be able to to lean into that and see where your responsibility is and how you're functioning within that. So each one of these actually has a victim component to it to to get that to bubble up to the top a little bit can be helpful. Would you like to take a little bit of that on? Sure. Let me see if I can just um do that and first step back to kind of frame how I'm thinking about this conversation. I'm a, a marriage and family therapist. And so my training is in mental health and, and even more specifically how mental health uh, shows up in relationships between people and groups and systems. And so my, when I'm working with people in, in high conflict relationships, um, I'm not wanting to teach them how to manage the other person or how to deal with a toxic 
individual, even though that gets, you know, a lot of clicks on the internet. I want to teach them about themselves so they can know how to handle themselves and deal with themselves in the face of a very uncomfortable situation, uh, i.e. A, a toxic relationship or toxic person. And so these um, roles in the drama triangle, victim, I always say bully, even though persecutor is probably what the author um, said, uh, victim, bully, and rescuer, these are not roles that a person takes. These are energies within you mm -hmm. that show up when you are in under stress, you know, when you're uncomfortable, when your nervous system is, has gone into self protect, you know, protect the body mode, fight or flight. We have, there's these different energies. And I do think people, you know, one individual is going to more have more of the um, bully energy and another individual is going to have more of the rescuer. But we're all capable and and have all three within us. And the key is to recognize, you know, have the awareness to know what's happening in you and then make decisions about it, not to not have that energy or to um, somehow, you know, be the the outside of the triangle, I guess. I like the way that you put that and, you know, that those energies being internal energies of survival yeah. and a manipulation of the energy to meet a certain criteria or need or strategy for that survival, I think is really an important piece. So it, it really does come back to where I'm triggered, where, where, that yeah. triggering puts me into that fight, flight, freeze mm -hmm. um, response and how this triangle comes in and starts mm -hmm. to um, codify that a little bit more. Yeah. And, and people, you know, like be, feel understandably hurt or confused when their um, co-parent or relationship partner bullies them. But then the next minute turns to a child and acts sweet as pie and is uh, very agreeable. Um, and, and But that's uh, very normal. Like it's, it, this, it's the stress of that relationship with between the two people that brings out the stress response in the form of a bully energy. And that 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 tension's not there in other relationships, uh, at least at the moment. And so that person is able to be, you know, much more regulated and, and uh, healthy. So I'd like to play with this for a minute with you, if you, if you're willing. Let's do it. And I, I, I want to start from that, that victim point in that triangle, if you will. And I think for me and yourself and your cohorts over at the Bad Weather Podcast, you have a lot of clients and or input from um, the listeners and clients that come in from a victim standpoint this is this is their starting point this is being yeah. done to me mm -hmm. by somebody else and what i what i see happening happening in that are two things from that particular perspective i often see that victim turning into a victim aggression or a victim violence where 
that actually rotates oh yeah that into becoming the persecutor or the bully yes. in that process yes yeah and and almost simultaneously in in our conversations they are asking somebody to come rescue them and collude with them mm -hmm. and that shifts that whole triangle again in another triad and it it's really it's really so consistent i i i, I wouldn't say it's all the time but i would say it's 90 plus percent of the time that that's the dynamic that i see people come in initially with and beginning to um to radiate from sure so if i'm hearing you right they come in with a story in their head and it starts with them you know i, I being victimized in some way but then they themselves are using that story of being a victim to then bully it, mm -hmm. you know it, it it's it justifies uh acting out or treating others poorly um which then continues to back up i mean it reinforces the original victim story because they inevitably provoke or that energy provokes it stick it keeps you on the drama triangle that energy provokes a victim in somebody else and they're which, looking for a, a rescuer mm -hmm. which they hope will be the third party the neutral party the therapist the coach mediator or the lawyer. court who's going to help them both or the yeah yeah good luck with that right right <laughs> but i mean that's that that's the concept yeah yeah that's right and there's this consistent rotating of people not taking yeah. responsibility of there's a problem here i'm a part of the problem rather than going into aggression going into destruction of whatever i want to destroy in that conflict to be able to sit down and say okay I'm a part of this. How do I extract myself from this and yes. solve the problem at hand? And I and I think for us in particular in this conversation, Brian, um, what I'm looking to try to do is to get my clients, our listeners, to perk up to the notion of the destructive quality of this triangle has a huge effect on the children that are involved. And if they can't extract themselves, if they can't take responsibility for what's going on there, they are going to further inflict trauma and pain on their children. And they seem to get, the children seem to get lost in that conversation. They become a tool for yeah. the fight rather than yeah. pulling them out yeah um and i'm glad you mentioned that I, I think that i mean my experience is that when kids when foot when parents are quote unquote fighting for their children that they themselves do feel very justifies it justified it feels right in your body to stand up and push back against a person or a thing or a scenario that feels like it's threatening your children. And maybe it is threatening your children. You know, it, your, your intuition could be exactly right. Your children need to be protected, but justifying your own fight, you know, like justifying your own um, aggressive confrontational drama like behavior 
doesn't protect your children that as you well said keeps them in the middle of of high conflict that i mean and that's the thing that damages children children are you know humans are resilient we can move to different schools and get different friends and have to go back and forth in between two homes have different holidays but we cannot be resilient in the face of chronic uh conflict within our family system yeah that's so destructive it's the one thing so when when these parents get lost in this conversation I'm going to ask a question, and it, it, it may be tangential, it may be a little obtuse here, but um, do you see a place in this triangle where the children become a participant in it rather <laughs> than an ancillary um, witness of it? Yeah, I don't know that I, I had uh, thought about that too much that is a um important i mean i can certainly see um children being co-opted into a rescue or a rescuer role mm -hmm. children who are in the middle uh a parent uh unknowingly or knowingly colludes uh feeding him or her information um stoking the fire uh against one parent or the other or looking to that child to um, take care of the parents' feelings, you know, like a confidant uh, or a close friend would. Uh, so yeah, I think in that way, very much so, children can be invited into a drama triangle without their permission. Uh, to debt to you know to a great detriment i would right say. because this this is where that whole idea starts getting propagated um in the next generation and the behaviors yeah. of and then and then they're learning you know like they're learning all of this and whether they want to or not they'll intuitively fall into those same patterns when under stress as they get older so as a therapist, as a coach, and I, I want to pivot into that conversation a little bit here, because I see this, you know, happen with where people are alleging alienation or enmeshment or any of these other patterns where a parent is overbearing or over controlling in that arena. And as a therapist, as a as a coach, as a podcast host, <laughs> how do you see working with bringing that awareness to a parent, but also oftentimes where therapists are working with children, and I would say with children you know, of tween and older ages where this starts to really become, um expressed by the child how could that be addressed and brought out a little bit more in helping that system um be aware of the patterning and or correcting it now are you assuming I, i'm not following the question exactly assuming that i'm a neutral working with this you know each member of the family or i'm um you well, know talking to a specific parent 
we could be talking to a specific parent. We could be talking to the child because the children get brought into, and how do we, how, how could it, I mean, this is a new conversation for me. This is just something that popped okay. into my head while we were having this conversation. I was going, yeah. is there a way for mental health professionals to mirror this to a pre-adolescent or an adolescent in a way that they can see where they're getting trapped in a cycle yeah, without yeah, right, leading right. them down a, a road that's untenable for them. Yeah. So that's a good, so let's, let's just focus on the, on the kid. Um, and, and younger children are not going to have the vocabulary um, to be able to talk about that experience or even the safety, you know, with someone who they, who they're not already trusting. Um, but, uh, you, I mean, it's so when I, and I do work with children from time to time in the context of co-parenting, uh, negotiations, just to understand where the, it's a, a child inclusive process in order to hear their voice. And I'll ask uh, questions, open-ended questions like, um, is there, um, who in the family do you worry about? Um, what, you know, what, what makes you worry about that family member? Or is there a problem with somebody in your family that you wish you could solve? So implicitly with that, I just hold that for a second, but implicitly yeah. in that you are leading them into who are you trying to rescue or who do you feel the need to rescue? Exactly. Exactly. And so that, you know, they say, I worry about my mom. She's sad a lot. She cries a lot. And then the, and if I, and if I were wanting to work more with that child, then I would talk about um, how that made him or her feel. You know, and do you ever wish that you could help? And what do you try to do to help? And um, whose job do you think it is to help? Whose job it is to help, you know, kids when they're sad and they say, you know, parents, whose job it is, is it to help parents when they're sad? And I'm not filling in the blanks. So it's not me teaching them. It's it's giving them kind of that like that language or understanding that it's parents' job to take care of parents. It's adults' job to take care of adults. It's not a kid's job to take care of adults. Mm -hmm. uh, so I could say those words explicitly, and maybe sometimes I do, but typically um, we don't learn by being told how to think. You know, we learn by thinking things, uh, experiencing feelings, and witnessing. Um, um, events, relationships, thoughts, and then absorbing that. It's uh, so, so that would be one example of a so conversation. Opening the door child. for some critical thought. Opening yeah. the door for some um, areas to, to be willing to explore. But our kids are learning first the knowledge comes in through a conversation or this is this is what i think and then that's backed up by their experience right right that's where that, sure. that knowledge becomes wisdom and, and workable within them 
But what I'm curious about here is, you know, setting the template for that critical thought for them at a place where their prefrontal cortex is starting to develop the ability for cognitive thought. Those, those neural pathways are being formed in there. And that this notion of parentification of a child, which is the beginning of kind of this conversation, yeah, is, is the setup for um, unbalanced relationships or codependencies in, right. in the future of, I am giving to this parent because I am dependent on this parent. Yeah. So there's this give to get that sets up initially. Sure. And there's also a component of that that is, I think, in the child's psyche, if you will, um, a place of helplessness that that's, that, that that's percolating out of. And that they don't know how to fix this and they're scrambling yeah. any way they can to try to fix this, but it comes out of a place of being helpless and implicitly in that, a victim of this. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, I, and what it makes me, and, and I think that you were saying this, that um, even if a child does cognitively understand to some degree what's happening, um, it's not their job to fix it. And nope. it may it may be imperative on them to stay in that parentified uh, rescuing role because like you said, they know where their bread's buttered. It, like they need to survive in a system that calls on them to do that. And they they in that case truly are victims, not in the drama triangle way, right in the real sense of that word. Right. But however, and then because that leads to surviving that experience as a child and hopefully seeing a good therapist or coach as an adult when they're free of that system and can then make uh, do the hard work of standing up for themselves and having their own voice instead of having to be a caretaker. So when we're looking at this from from that standpoint i really like the way this conversation is going by the way brian um the the child is got a belief system maybe that they have to take care of this parent and mm -hmm. therefore they've got to leave that other parent behind or they can't go over there mm -hmm. or whatnot and there's this split that happens mm -hmm. and i'm wondering what your thoughts are about helping that child bridge that split because this parent over here may in fact be the healthy parent and the perspective or the distortion of the parent that they are aligned with or are meshed with um, is, is the lens through which they're seeing the world. And this other parent over here could in fact, and sometimes actually is the better parent in the process and yet the child is being left and i'm going to use this term and let's see if we can knit this in a little bit of being kind of free range so they're not getting the support that they could be getting over here to actually settle and be held 
and instead they're having to be free range in the fact of they're having to be the adult and take care of all of this stuff without any of the tools to do that. How do we bridge that? Well, that's a that's a that's a tough one. Um, I bet there's lots and lots of smart people, hopefully in the legal and the family studies system, trying to figure that out. But if but if we're so I don't know on a systemic level, but on an individual level with the child, it's um it's it's encouraging flexibility in their thinking is is what comes to mind so, so rather than one parent is good and one parent is bad or if you love one parent you can't love the other parent now they're getting messages from the unhealthy parent uh let's say that are very rigid you know black and white this is how it is this is who's right this is who's wrong this is who's good this is who's bad and we want to counteract that kind of messaging, which is so unhelpful for any age person to think in that way, at least I think. And so and so the language that we use is is both and. Um, you know, of course you love your mom. Uh, of course you it's it's it it's it feels good to make her happy. Of course that's um okay to do. And do you think it could be okay, or is there a way it could be okay to love your mom and take care of her and want to see your dad? Uh, now, that's probably a question for an adolescent, not a young child. But but those sorts of both and, you can do both. You can feel both. You can choose both. You can, um, without aligning yourself with one or the other. So moms and dads both get caught on the short end of this one. And yeah, uh, yeah for sure. A, we've got a, a parent that is longing for more time with their child. They're fighting this in court. They're trying to get equal custody or some level of custody that feels reasonable that they can handle. And it's being blocked. Um, yeah. you know, we, we come into this a lot of times. Um, early on with no court orders or no boundaries and we're trying mm -hmm. to navigate somebody who's not being reasonable in, in that piece and the moment a parent enters into the fight and and, and I want to say that you know going into that fight can be the absolute right thing to do I'm not discounting sure. that in any way shape or form sure. but they come into that fight and the moment that they do that, there becomes a loyalty um, battle with the child. Right. And they are, in fact, not implicitly, but in fact, caught in this war. They're in the middle of this piece. Yeah. And there is a place where their nervous system winds up and there is a massive amount of confusion in them. There is no stability in there. There is chaos for them because the parents are creating that chaos. And oftentimes a parent has this window before they can get to actually have somebody hear this, that they have no contact and they've got no recourse. And it's helpless for them. Yeah. Yeah. 
and this whole place of anger and i'm a victim to this and really can can rear up and this fight starts to take on another exponential level Mm -hmm. of contention how do we help that parent that's on that side of that conversation navigate that without being rolled over complicit with the other person's um yeah focus and manage to hold them there long enough to get them to the next piece without doing stupid stuff yeah yeah that's a that's great um I, i the word that comes to mind to my mind is is resilience is talk to that parent, uh, mom or dad, uh, about their own resilience. Who are you? Like this is happening to you. I would validate that. Like in 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 there there is a a valid story about you being the victim and your child being a victim. And so to feel those feelings is perfectly natural. And for your child to not want to spend time with you because he or she is aligning with the other parent because that's what she or he needs to do to survive according to his nervous system that's not fair but but resilient people understand that life isn't fair and i don't you know use that uh to be uh condescending or or minimize the experience of pain uh, the, of a parent who's who's sees their child suffering and in, as, and is unable to do any, anything about it. Nonetheless, uh, it's not about you, and life isn't fair. And resil and the and a story of resilience tells us that, and it comes from within, where we can feel uh, deep distress and pain, but yet choose to stand on our own two feet and tolerate that feeling without doing stupid stuff without getting into the fight which takes a level of self-awareness a a level of self-knowledge that i think is quite mature you know and i wouldn't judge a person for not being there all the time i'm not there all the time yeah but that would that would be my advice is to find find your inner core who are you that can stand tall on two feet and not get sucked into this because it is not about you. This is about a child who's suffering and you fighting will not fix it. It'll make it worse. So problem solving, what's my, what's my pathway and understanding what the pathway is and showing up in a nonviolent manner, mm-hmm. presence, showing up for, when you can be with the child, when mm-hmm. that is released, when you do get those moments, even if you feel mm-hmm. controlled while you're working toward that piece, keep showing up. Don't mm-hmm. get into that place of being um, a victim to it. Just I'm mm-hmm. I'm navigating what's here. Yeah. And I think the, the point of the resilience, you know, we were talking about being uncomfortable um, yeah. early on. And whether it's uncomfortable with cold or it's uncomfortable with the situation or whatever it is, 
there's a place where our, our nervous system adapts and yeah uh, we we get some grit there's some ability there's yeah. some resilience here that gets built within that yep and that only happens when we are in a place of discomfort we learn how to solve right. problems rather than looking for somebody to solve them for us but what right. we can do what our listeners can do what our clients can do is seek out good professional help to help them navigate that to not fix that for them but to teach them how to fix it for themselves or to navigate it for themselves um, I think that that is the template that begins to be set for the child later on in yes. terms of how to do this. So uh -huh. I've got this chaos over here, but uh -huh. this person has gone away. They're just sitting there and they're not being aggressive. They're just showing up. They're showing up, showing up. And I think that that's where oftentimes, even though it takes sometimes a decade to get there for the child that's where the child can come back and land you know this brings uh to mind uh a man that i worked this was years ago but i probably met with him off and on over four years maybe longer um but uh divorce uh adolescent children one by one they stopped spending time with him uh or wanting to and as they got older the um he deferred, you know, to their wishes, which maybe was a good idea at the time. You, you know, can't necessarily compel a, a teenager to to like you. Um, but he suspected strongly that his um, ex-wife was was alienating them uh, or him from them. And I, there was decent evidence, you know, like he 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 built a story that that backed that up, and and I suspect that many element many aspects of that element of that story were true yet i doubt that his ex-wife was the kind of toxic person that you know was doing that uh uh in in just a really blind or manipulative way uh and and so i would really try to coach him to to do what we're talking about to to stand strong to if she is doing what you suspect she's doing, in the end, your children can suss this out um, because they have their own nervous systems and their nervous systems are giving them information about who they need to take care of, who can handle what, who they can rely on. And uh, this story doesn't end well because he, I don't think ever could get a man, uh, to a place to manage his own anxiety his own internal insecurity about being a father, about being liked and admired, about being uh, equal in status to his wife. These things were very uh, important to him. In, in, in some ways he knew that, and in some ways he was stayed blind to that because he just never could quite see it. And I think his children picked up on that anxiety, which more than the, the whatever their mom was or wasn't doing, I think that insecurity, they picked up on that because kids read that stuff, whether they know it or not. And it was uncomfortable. It didn't feel secure. It didn't feel strong. It felt unpredictable. Um, 
Oh, yeah. They had heard about his rage episodes that had happened before the divorce, you know, that, of course, they heard about that from mom. So this is all kind of complicit. But he uh, ultimately, I think, wasn't able to get to where we're talking about getting to, where you can have the kind of resilience to feel anxious and worried and scared and, and mad as hell about the situation, but um, not leverage that kind of emotion or, or into bad behavior or insecure behavior. I was having this conversation a, a little bit with Dr. Levine last week in terms of how, how this stuff gets resolved. Um, and it starts with the adult. It starts with that internal yeah. um, settling because the kids, to mm -hmm. your point, are co-regulating off of us in so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. And I was just, again, I, I've got this this um, drama triangle, you know, on my other screeners. We're talking and I'm looking at this and it's like how within this conversation, I think what we're talking about is taking that visual if i'm looking at it and saying okay um i'm going to turn this into a healthy conversation i'm going to step out of this and some of this stuff is valid yeah to your point but where do i look at it from a place of um not being aggressive because each one of these has an aggressiveness to it and finding that neutrality, and you talked about, you know, it's okay to be angry. Yeah, that's a normal piece. But where does that anger take me down a rabbit hole that doesn't um, keep me present for what I'm actually trying to accomplish? That anger is a defense mechanism. It's a survival piece. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that's inherent in our system but it needs to be something that we learn how to let flow through us yeah, and not really even control, but to be aware of and to, to yeah. come back into, okay, yeah, that pisses me off. Mm -hmm. I wished it wasn't that way. Now, mm -hmm. what do I do? Right. Because that template, again, I think begins to establish for our children a new touchstone. A new place to go, wait a minute, yeah. we can do this differently. Yeah. They're always watching, right? They're Whether they're a thousand miles away or they're next to you uh, on the couch, they are thinking about you. And if their prefrontal cortex isn't thinking about you, their um, soul, you know, has you in its sights. And, uh, and, and, and that never stops, you know, till the day we die, that's, that's happening. And so any work that you're doing to be a healthy individual, to manage the emotion with dignity is going to, that's your job as a, as a good parent, uh, to, to, to keep doing that in whatever place and time and role that you can. And when you can't to forgive yourself, because that's part of it. You can't hold yourself to a standard that's impossible. You know, you, you you said that that's something that the child is always thinking about. That's always somewhere in their their somewhere psyche. I'm 68 years old. Uh huh. And there's hardly a day that goes by, and part of it's because of what I do for a living. 
but there's hardly a day that goes by that I don't have some reflection or some memory or some context about my parents, about yeah. my childhood, about those relationships, about myself as a parent and my children and my grandchildren as to how that connectedness continues, whether that was good, bad, or indifferent, and how the perspectives of good, bad, or indifferent have morphed over the years as I've looked at those. So it that those connections in a lifetime don't ever go away. Yeah, that, that's right. Yes. They're always needing or wanting a connection with you and they're always learning and being impacted by that connection whether you want them to or not which i think most of us want them to right, right. yeah want those connections and and when they didn't happen or they don't happen that's painful very painful absolutely very painful and that happens and I think that that's something that um, is really hard for people to hear. That's like, there's a place for mm -hmm. some of this where there is nothing that you can do about it. Yeah, I think grief is the of the right frame in, in some instances where you are called to, to feel deep pain about what you didn't get, you didn't get to decide. But we all deal, you know, like, there's what we want and hope to happen in life and and work hard as hell for. And then there's what really happens. And, and they're not often the same. Children get alienated. Children um, die. You know, children run away from home. Children grow up and marry someone you don't like. And then you got to deal with that. Like, again, not to minimize anybody's personal experience, but at the end of the day, none of this is a choice that that we get to make and then that happens and resilience means that you can tolerate and handle the reality of life with dignity especially when the reality of life doesn't match the picture in your mind that you want it to be it feels a lot like not caring like you have to care less which is i struggle with myself because i care deeply about things and people uh, in my life but the more you attach yourself to an outcome, the the harder it is to be flexible, resilient in the face of adversity. So I, I tell myself and I tell my clients and my listeners to care deeply about how you show up in your life, care deeply about um, having integrity, doing your best, acting with uh, in ways that you can stand behind and try to hold on to the outcomes or expectations very loosely because you don't get to decide what they are. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of my teachers in my early um, therapy and, and trying to wake up to some of this stuff in my thirties, it was like, life is an unfolding. And the trick is to be in that unfolding mm -hmm. without that expectation of the outcome. Mm -hmm. You know, we can have some idea of where we want to go, 
but the unfolding is going to take us where we're going to go. We're in the we're in the current of of life, and it is going to lead us. And and choices are those off ramps or those offshoots of that that are going to take us in different areas. But we don't always have dominion over that. And what seems really intolerable right now, and where I lost something and I'm still grieving something over here, there's been something that has opened for me that is different, that gives me more balance and more presence yeah, and right. how that happens. So I think it's important right. to to have our our listeners and our clients relax into the discomfort of that one. <laughs> relax into the discomfort. <laughs> That's such an interesting phrase, but, but apt, so apt and possible. This is something the human body can do, right? which is relax into, into discomfort. I like to, I like to say that, uh, you know, it's only sensation. Well, people, you know, like crazy people walk on burning hot coals in bare feet. Like that's a, that is a real thing. People in the Scandinavia or wherever in the world, all over the world, actually jump into ice water on purpose and stay there, you know, for sometimes minutes, mm -hmm. like talk about discomfort, but the only way to to be able to do that is to be able to relax to, to get your nervous system to a state where it is relaxed because if you just let it do its thing it is going to get your ass out of that water very quick and be in a state of shock mm -hmm. at the same time which isn't helpful for anybody so it's interesting learning, you know, learning to be uncomfortable the the more and I think this is something that I, I try to get instilled in my clients and my listeners in this is, is to understand the notion that I can only tolerate as much pleasure as I can tolerate discomfort. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. And I want to tolerate a lot of pleasure. That would be great. Right? Yeah. Right. And to have this notion that they're both equal and they both demand something of the yeah. other in order to establish that. Yeah. Like, let me give a, um, if there's time, just yeah. like a, a, like a little vignette maybe of, of sitting in the discomfort, relaxing your body and then choosing what to do about it. I, I just think this is a typical co-parenting scenario. You know, like one parent emails the other says, hey, can I take the kids to my work party um it's next week on friday at, you know five to six or four to seven and uh let me know if you can by monday the response is in you know in what world do you think i would say yes for you taking my children to your boyfriend slash boss's you know birthday party Last time you did that, you were drunk. I've got reports from five people. You know, that's that you're crazy. So, I mean, to to receive a message like that is I, I don't care how you know how zen-like you are. 
is going to feel bad and and you'll have some strong emotions and want to fire back you know something that puts the other parent in in his or her place and defends yourself that's what your nervous system does but to just sit and feel that yeah. is i think very valuable it's very valuable to just sit looking at that email on the screen feeling the sensations in, in your body of coursing heat you know is probably what it would feel like to me Sure. Imagine sending an email in return, like you effing s, and not doing it. Uh, and then imagine um, waiting a couple beats until that surge of adrenaline passes, because that's what it is—adrenaline. Which is probably going to take twenty minutes or so before it kind of works its way out. And then remind yourself. I'm not responsible for how that person thinks. I'm not responsible for that person's opinion of me. I'm not responsible. It's not even my business mm -hmm. what that person thinks about me or says about me or tries to get me to do or not do. That's that person's business. And I'm not going to get into that person's circus because it's all fucked up anyways. Pardon my French. That's fine. Why would I want to? Mm -hmm. And then you can be uh, more skillful at, you know, typing out a quick response and, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, you might have to swallow a little um, vomit here, but thanks for the email or thanks for the reply um, and for considering the request. It sounds like you're not comfortable. If you change, if you, it sounds like the answer is no. If you change your mind, let me know. Warmly. So yeah. yeah. And then send. And then you got to just forget about it. But, it, you know, even in that process, you're eliciting engagement with them. And I think for most of our listeners, at least my experience with most of my listeners and clients are, is if I ask them, if you do that, what do you think the response is going to be? And most of them would tell me the response is going to be exactly what it ends up being. So why engage in that process? Because engaging in that process is setting the seed for that triangle to take place and that engagement to happen. So to step back and go, yeah, that's her time or his time. I know the answer I'm going to get. Why would I engage in that conversation? And just circumvent all of it. And I think where a lot of people get hung up in that process, Brian, is, is that, well, in a normal world with normal people, that would be an easy pull. But to understand, you know, in, in the topic that we're talking about with high conflict, divorce and custody, we're not dealing with normal people in normal circumstances. And we've got to adjust how we think about even those engagements and go to you know, my basic three rules, which are disengage, disengage, disengage. Yeah, that's right. I forgot your rules. Now I remember. Yeah. And then, you know, getting them to lay into the discomfort of that one, because now we're really circumventing the whole process in terms of um, the energy sure. that goes into the system. 
Yeah, I, I value that. And and I think that the the clientele that you work with and what what is that it this is most effective for that that makes a ton of sense. Right. In 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 my world, um the people that I'm calling high conflict are normal people. They're normal people who under stress um act in abnormal or or um ineffective ways. So there's a, of course, a spectrum, um, and your 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 question is valid. So so here here's a question that I want to just kind of add into that because I think it's a I, I think it's a valuable piece for uh, for all of our listeners here, and and that is under stress, which this is, divorce, custody, it's stress, it's high stress, people are not liking each other they're in that place of um yeah. not really wanting to resolve stuff right now at least in that moment that this this notion of disengagement and not adding energy to the system just backing up and not having those conversations and just taking care of yourself mm -hmm taking care of your own nervous system, getting this resilience in, dealing with whatever grief that you have to deal with, because there's always grief in that process on one side or the other or both in that in that separation and what's going on. Having a period of time that is allowed to settle, not to be ambivalent to, not to be avoidant of, to be conscious of, but to be disengaged from and taking care of the things that are availed to you to take care of allows for the normalcy to find its way in quicker if it's going to be available. And if the normalcy isn't going to avail itself, if it's not going to come in, then we've already set the parameters of how to deal and navigate something that's more conflicted does what do you think about that well sure i i, I mean I, it every every situation every family every system is different and so when i meet people for uh the first time and and initially working for them my assumptions are that these are normal people um in abnormally stressful circumstances and have the ability to be more resilient and wise with some uh, quote unquote wise counsel. Um, and, and sometimes they can, and that bears out. And, and to your point, sometimes they can't. And then the right the uh, action is to disengage more and more and more and more until it becomes crystal clear that any engagement is, is folly. Well put. Well put. All right. Well, we've knocked the bejeebies out of the better part of the hour, Brian. It, it was, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the, uh, you're, you're good at diving deep on these conversations. I can see why you're still going 200 plus strong. You made me think for sure. Well, uh, it, 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 these conversations bring new questions to me. And, you mm -hmm. know, when we're in these with, with people that are dealing with this all the time that are professionals that are really quality like yourself in this, it's kind of like we 
can bring more to the table through these conversations. And I, I really enjoy them. So thank you Good. for agreeing to do this. And again, I hope that we can come around and, and touch on the, some stuff again at a later date. Happy to stay in touch. Uh, we really enjoyed the interview with you and um, your approach to truly high conflict uh, um, co-parenting situations. Where just, I just think that that's not something that we talk about much where it's so bad that you just cannot be engaged. Uh, so that was, it was good perspective. I can see having you on again. And there's an arc to it. So um, again, Brian, thanks for coming in. This has been episode 276, Navigating High Conflict Divorce and Custody with therapist Brian Burns. You can um, find Brian and his colleagues' podcasts at the Bad Weather Podcast. Anything mm -hmm. else that they can have for resources with you guys? Yeah, we're on all the listening platforms at Bad Weather Podcast. We've got a website that's relatively new badweatherwellness.com and uh, this is not my department but uh, i understand we are on tiktok instagram x that that thing called x uh <laughs> that i still haven't spent any time on wouldn't be both but, yeah at bad weather pod so thanks for and and you could folks can reach out to me personally if you're looking for more information and my my website is mnrelationshiprepair.com. Nice. MN stands for Minnesota, which is where I practice. mnrelationshiprepair.com. Nice. Okay, everybody. Thanks for coming back and joining us. Uh, we'll be back with another episode soon. And um, go play. Have some fun. Make life enjoyable because that's what we're here for. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the High Conflict Co-Parenting Podcast. We hope that you found our insights and guidance helpful in navigating high conflict divorce and custody battles. If you're looking for help right now, you can sign up for our nine-week live online course where I personally teach the High Conflict Diversion Program that you can register for at our website, highconflict.net, under our Classes tab or you can book a one-on-one -on -one personal coaching appointment with me, and you can register for that at our website, highconflict.net, under the Services tab. If you're looking for more support and practical advice, we invite you to sign up for our email list at highconflict.net forward slash emails. Our emails are designed to help you think outside of the box, challenge your belief systems, and find creative solutions that work while managing the black hole of high conflict and custody disputes. You'll receive tips, strategies, success stories, common mistakes to avoid, and the tools you need to disengage from the conflict and prioritize your child's best interests. We believe that every parent deserves the support and guidance they need to navigate high conflict, divorce, and custody battles. And our email list is just one way that we can provide that support. So be sure to visit highconflict.net forward slash emails to sign up today. And again, thank you for listening. We look forward to supporting you on your journey.